Welcome to Simon Says Inspire, a podcast about life, leadership, and building legacies. I'm John Simon Sr. And I'm Dina Simon. And our guest today is Lisa Bobiak. Lisa is a life balance, personal leadership, and burnout recovery coach. So if you are tired of running on empty, Lisa should be your next call. Lisa, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you for having me, John. Good to see you, Dina. We're excited to have you. So Lisa, why don't you take a few seconds and tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, maybe a little bit about your family and what you do in your spare time. Yeah, spare time. (laughs) So I just love the life I've got now. I will tell you that. I consider myself on, I guess, another chapter. I don't know if it's my second, my third, my fourth chapter, so many different iterations of life. But right now, my children are grown. They're they're on their own life themselves. They're in their 30s and married, and they're loving their lives. And I get to focus a lot on the work I do with, with the high-achieving women and men I work with. I say I'm in a different chapter because an earlier chapter of mine was when I was a young mom working, working, working. And yet, Dina, unlike you, I didn't work outside of the home. I chose to stay, quote, at home with my girls, and yet I still burnt out. And so I find it fascinating. Here we are in this era where we're being told burnout is a workplace phenomenon. And I so believe that it's a phenomenon based upon how we approach life. Yes. No matter what we do or if we're getting paid or not. Right. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. One of the hardest jobs is being a stay-at-home mother and housemaker and in charge of everything that surrounds around a family. I mean, that is a super hard job. Yes. Sure, sure. And, you know... I think for me, and I don't know if all women felt this, but when I chose to, quote, give up my career to stay home, I really took it seriously, probably too seriously. You know, I thought, all right, I thought I was going to be a teacher. I thought I was going to be a working mom. And now that doesn't feel right as I look at this infant. And so if I'm going to, quote, be and I'm saying this in air quotes, yes. just stay at home mom, because I felt like it was just that like I was sacrificing something and giving up something. So I thought, well, I better do it right (laughs) and I better not waste this time. And so I volunteered a lot. I used a lot of my skills in teaching elsewhere. So I was rarely at home. (laughs) Right. I I was running on empty as the stay at home mom. And so my approach was still give it all you got work hard, put people first. And it caused me, well, a lot of pain. You know, I thought life was fine until the third time. And truly, the third time life had to hit me upside the head to say, Lisa, something's got to give. And right now is your health. I was at an eye doctor's appointment. He found a spot on an MRI that he did not like. So he snagged the first available call with a neurosurgeon, got me in that afternoon, and he was happy to tell me while I was still in his office, hey, good news, bad news. Bad news, I see something on here, but good news, we're getting you right to the neurosurgeon. My response, Dina, was so, I'm, I'm now embarrassed by it, but I looked at my watch and I'm like, thanks, but no thanks. I gotta get home. 
Wow. You know, yeah. I'm already running late uh-huh. to get the rules off the bus. He said, yeah, you still need to go. So I get to the neurosurgeon's office. She tells me that I had a stroke. Oh, my gosh. Still not catching it, John. Right. I'm like, oh, like a TIA. And she said, no, Lisa, a stroke. And I said, oh, like a mini stroke. And honestly, by the look of her eyes, I thought, mm, she must think I'm flipping because she took my chin, pulled my face into her, and she said, Lisa, if you don't get this right, your girls won't have you to come home to. So, oh. yeah. What an incentive. <laughs> and, and that's really when you started changing. That is the only time I started changing. I had, and, and I'm so thankful for it. I am yep. so thankful for it. But I had these sin- signals, symptoms for years, but I would push them under the rug because I was busy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my blood pressure was going up. But, you know, doesn't everybody get a little anxious and nervous at the doctors? Their blood pressure goes up. So, so we'd, you know, brush it off. Right. Every year I'd gain a little bit more weight at the doctor's office. But what newly married woman doesn't put on a few extra? (laughs) So there was always a reason until that particular one, John. You're right. It was my come to Jesus moment. It was my wake up moment. And that happens to people that have heart condition. You know, they say, well, the reason my chest hurts is because I lifted a little weight today or I did, you know, I reached for something in the cupboard that I may have pulled my muscle in my arm. And meanwhile, they're having a heart attack and they're finding reasons why not to have one. Right, right. So the eye doctor, like, thank God you went to the eye doctor that day. Right? Right, right. Yes. And it's really interesting. So I actually, yeah, just even from a young girl, like my eye doctor saw something in my eyes and said, hey, you need to go to a specialist. It was certainly nothing as severe as what you had going on. But that's also, John, my husband, Rich, has an autoimmune disease. And that's how they found it through his eye doctor originally was like, so eye doctors are extremely important based on this message that I'm hearing. And so you're in the eye doctor and you go through this process. Can you tell us, because you said you saw some of the signs maybe, so, and you mentioned a few of them. Was there anything else from a stroke perspective that you, once you found that out, you're like, oh. So I don't know what, I don't know enough medical background for strokes, except high blood pressure, high stress, elevated weight. I can tell you from a burnout, perspective. I had many symptoms. And one of the, I mean, we now talk about burnout a lot. And yet, at the end of burnout, physical things happen like strokes, like like heart attacks. So I was having wound tight feelings. That's how I would describe myself. I was just wound tight. I felt my body moving. I felt like I was always in motion, even if I was trying to take a nap or even if I was standing still, I was revved. My mind, my thoughts were pinging around like a pinball machine. And I thought that was normal. And I figured that's just, you know, how you were wired, right? If that's what you knew, right? Yes. Yes. And I figured that's probably price of admission to a busy life. Two kids have a lot of activities. Husband has a lot of activities. I was, quote, 
the glue that just held it together. Right. And so this is the price I have to pay for the next 18 years is what I thought. Yes. Boy, that, that all falls into what I was reading in, in your bio. You have the symptoms of burnout. You know, you're exhausted with no amount of sleep makes you feel rested. Yeah. No matter how much you get, you just, you can't keep going sometimes. Yeah. And doesn't that tick us off? I mean, because <laughs> so many of us, and I'm guessing your listeners are high achievers and they're go-getters. And <laughs> type I, A personalities. Kind of, right? And you set your bar and then when you make it, you just reset it just a little higher and you make that and you keep resetting. And when I wasn't able to reset, I honestly, it's kind of embarrassing, but I was I was more ticked off and a little peeved. Like, like, what the heck? I follow the rules here, you know? I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. This is how I got through school, I got A's, I'm a good student, I'm a nice person. And yet I felt frustrated and yeah. resentful for a little bit. Yeah. So Lisa, working with people from a burnout perspective now, li living this great life that you have where you're coaching, you're taking your experiences, you're helping others get through it. Talk to us a little bit about that. So what does that look like in your business today? Sure. So today on the other side of burnout, I realize how invisible being in burnout is. It, it is very much like the frog the proverbial frog in, in that boiling pot of water doesn't really know it's boiling to death, you know? So so people usually contact me because they are overwhelmed. They may be getting edgy and resentful, and they're starting to feel like what they do in life, what they're really good at, what they're passionate about, doesn't feel as exciting anymore. They're kind of feeling like meh, even though it's kind of their calling. And so they're not catching that this is early signs of burnout, but they tend to come to me wanting time management strategies or productivity strategies. When you say that, when you say time management or productivity, that means that they want to do more, right? Because right. there is so much more to do. <laughs> right. Well, so many of us have brilliant visions and we have passions and the sad truth is we only have 24 hours in a day. And another hard truth is that we're not machines. So we can't run our body like we could a machine. And I, I truly think part of our issue, and, and I'd be curious, Dina, if you think this, I think part of our issue stemmed from the industrial age where there was this cult of efficiency and productivity and machine driven. And so as Americans, we learned we can operate, you know, boom, 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 boom. And now here we are in the knowledge era. We're not running machines to run the country. We're running our brains and our bodies. Yeah. And I think I personally expected my body to operate like a machine. If I put this in, I get this out. If this, then this. And it right. doesn't work that way with humans. You know, one thing I, I was thinking about as you were saying, talking about the burnout and everything, as Americans, you have to sit there and say, compared to the Europeans, you know, do we work to live or live to work? Oof. Yeah. And, and you know, I, my grandson and I were over in Germany last year, and I was amazed at the people 
that are out with families at 9, 10, 11 o'clock at night. And, you know, here I live in Dallas and, you know, you can go through downtown Dallas and shoot a cannon off at 10 o'clock at night and you won't hit anybody because they're home. And yeah. where the European countries, they're out enjoying the time they have outdoors. And so work's important, but not as important, I think, as it is to to a lot of Americans. Yeah. So I wish we were more like that. Yeah. That sounds like healthier balance. When you were there, John, could you see what they do differently than we do? One of the things we did notice is that they're not driving everywhere. They're on bicycles. They're they're out walking. And yeah. at 10 o'clock at night, there's people out in strollers with, with little ones and they're stopping to get gelato and they're in a park and, and it's very safe. And they're they're enjoying the family life also where by that time, you know, I was always in bed by 10 o'clock at night because I wanted to get up at 6 a.m. so I could be the first one in the office and, you know, start my day. Yeah. And so think of the quality time they're having with family. Like you just said that. So they're out, they're doing experiences. They're not in front of the TV. They're together. They're out in fresh air. I mean, there's just so much, there's so much there. As you said, they're walking or biking and just out and about. So Lisa, can you talk a little bit about the MBI, the inventory, the, is it Malash burnout inventory? I was interested in hearing a little bit about that. So the MBI stands for Mayslock Burnout Inventory. So so Dr. Christina Mayslock is a burnout researcher. So the cool thing about her, I consider her the grandmother of burnout. So she's talked about corporate and industrial burnout since the 60s and started studying it. And honestly, she and her colleagues have been on a mission since then to improve the workplace situation so that we don't have burnt out employees. Clearly, it hasn't worked. And it's not, I'm not blaming her. I'm saying our culture is so indoctrinated that she could not change the culture. So the MBI is an assessment that we can take to indicate whether we have burnout or not. Like I said, I think we talk a lot about burnout Many of us don't recognize that we're in it. There is a definitive assessment that could be taken. Not everybody offers it. I am able to offer that to my clients. So people who work with me will fill that inventory out. It's a super simple 10 minute online assessment. And it basically spits out like a 35 page personalized workbook of sorts to start addressing burnout. And then we can identify which of those six particular areas of burnout we can start with first. Because most burnout people have so many places we could shore up that it's hard to decide where to start. Right. (laughs) And (laughs) allows us to start. Yeah. And I'm assuming when you start, you start with one or two and then you build on it from there. One, period. Just one. Okay. One, one, one. And we we collectively, so so my clients and I, I should say healing burnout is very different than preventing burnout. And healing burnout will look differently in each one of us. Identifying burnout, we can come at it at a general approach. But once that's done, my client and I individualize everything. And so the two of us will decide which one of these places do you think you're going to get the most bang for your buck? So for example, 
which is the easiest win and which do you think will help you the most? And we focus on that for as long as it takes. It might be three days, it might be three months, but we focus on one thing till it starts becoming either a new habit or just a part of who they are. And that typically buys them a little more time, buys them a little bit more energy, then we can bring in the second, but never more than one at a time. That's fantastic. How rewarding is it to you maybe two weeks or two months later when they come back and say, Lisa, I have this under control now and I'm much better at it. And maybe we need to step into number two now and help help me with with my organizational skills or whatever it may be. But that has to be rewarding for you. Super rewarding, John. But let me tell you something. Nobody has ever come back to me and said, Lisa, I'm ready for the next one now. <laughs> Here's what happens. So so they work and work and they start feeling better, but they're not yeah. recognizing that this is life that's content and peaceful. So I'll give you an example. I had a call, this is relatively recent. Client says, Lisa, I was thinking about her upcoming coaching call. I don't have anything really like pressing to talk about, like things are going pretty well. And so I said, help me understand, describe a little more. And she's like trying to come up with something to work on. Like clearly there's gotta be something that she's missing. And I said, could it be that this is what you've been looking for all along? Like, like it's working and life. And she went, I think I'm feeling like a sense of ease and peace. I love it. Oh my gosh. So Lisa, I love this conversation and it's individualized. Is there one key theme that you see the most of, like one area that you do start with most of your clients? Is there one common theme? Yes. And it might be the hardest. So I've noticed that those clients who are the most successful have chosen to take time for themselves and do it consistently every day. And it starts with just five minutes of reflection every day. And then in time, it builds to maybe five minutes in the morning and 10 minutes in the evening. I call those owner's meetings because we've got to own our life. As a matter of fact, we do. And if we don't take agency, (laughs) things are just gonna happen to us, but we've got a lot of responsibility. And so I would say the one thing that most bulk with, because we don't have five minutes for ourselves. My clients come to me and they're like, Lisa, asking me for 10 minutes for myself is, I need to tell you how busy I am. I need to tell you, I don't have time to pee during the day. Right? Yep. So so I, I would say that's the hardest thing. And yet the most important thing is to find time to have moments of clarity and reflection with yourself. You know what I was always proponent of, when I wake up in the morning, I get out of bed right away. Mm -hmm. I do not lay there because I've always thought that when you lay there, I called it stinking thinking because you never think about anything that's good when you're laying there. Every thought that you have is negative. And I said, you know what? If I get up, I'm not going to have those negative thoughts. I'm just going to get up, get her done. Right. Get up and get get my day started right now. And I'm not going to lay here and think about things that could be or should be. No stinking thinking for John. Yeah. No. So, no. 
So I use that stinking thinking and training and stuff. So that is like assumed constraints and how do you get, you know, out of your head. But Lisa, you might know some of this. So I know, John, I'm actually the opposite as I've gotten older, as I, I, so that like meditation in the morning, I actively, like when my alarm goes off, I actively like get into that kind of active dream state. And, but I can say solve this problem and I'll wake up and I'll actually have new ideas on how I can move forward with something. So I've tried to use that time in, I wish I could jump out of bed, I don't, but I've actually tried to program how I use that time on the whole reflecting and and if there's something that is bothering me or something that I have to approach that day, I can somewhat solve those problems during that time in the morning as well when I'm literally in and out of sleep. Yeah. Well, so it's, you- it, it's funny. I used to tell some of the people that I work with, I did my best thinking in the shower. Yeah. As yeah. I was getting ready to go to work, I'm thinking of all these things. And I said, well, we need to do this and we really need to improve this here. But the yep. shower for me was a great place to think. Yeah. 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 So Lisa, tell us about your two girls. So you mentioned, I want to go back to your family. So tell us about your family and what do you do kind of for fun? John asked, you know, kind of your personal life. So outside of just business and coaching. Yeah. Yeah, so my two daughters, Lindsay lives in Colorado. She is a musician. She's married to a musician. They are outdoor fanatics. So they absolutely love the Colorado lifestyle. And they're, elect- they're in the right place. They are. Yeah, I don't think they're moving. <laughs> and, Hard to get them out of there. Yeah. Our daughter, my daughter lives there also in Durango, and you couldn't pry her out of there. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, Lindsay and Kyle live near Glenwood Springs in Aspen. They absolutely oh, okay. love Durango. Yeah. They just were there wow. for the honeymoon. Nice. Yeah, and Alexa and her husband live in Minneapolis. They love the city life. She's a realtor. They Hi. have two cats and a dog, and they are very busy with life of their own there. For fun, you know, I live in East Bethel, Minnesota, so I'm a little out of the suburbs. We like to go to wineries. I like to take walks and hikes and bike ride and and kayak. We absolutely adore the St. Croix River Valley. We're up and down that valley a lot on a motorcycle or, or on a bike. Nice. How has the house shrunk with this girl gone? How is the house shrunk? Yeah. Well, the, well, the house just feels so much bigger now. <laughs> and I got to say, it's been empty. We used to have three pets and children, and now the pets have aged and gone, and they're all they're gone here. the last three years. We just adopted a, a pet just a month ago, so I'm back in love again. Yay! What kind of pet did you adopt? We got a cat, and I call him my comfort cat. He's Aww. very cuddly and just a sweetheart. His name's Benny. Benny, I love that. Dean and Richard went through the same thing. Mandy's a, a third year at the University of Nebraska, so they still have the puppy, though. Uh, Posh has been there. So that kind of keeps them going, you know, with some someone else to care for, anyhow. You need that. Oh, my gosh. My, my mom heart was like, sad for a little while until I got this guy. Now I get to, you know, be all weird with him and it's funny. <laughs> yeah. Shannon and Jonathan's dog's name is Benny, isn't it? Yes. The new, yeah. the new German Shepherd the, that they adopted yeah. Yeah, is Benny. Yeah. 
Yeah, so we, we've got a Benny, and my grandmother's nickname was Benny. So we've got a few Benny connections there for you, Lisa. That's neat. So you yeah. you, you talked about the St. Croix uh, River down there. We were just there a few weeks ago down in Stillwater. What a beautiful area that is, right, yeah, right by the uh, bridge. We had lunch, Dana and Rich took Jeannie and I down there, and it was just a great day. Good, good. I'm so glad you had good weather. Yeah, yeah. Stillwater is just a lovely town. I love the history. Kind of think Minnesota started with Stillwater, didn't it? And the lumber. Yeah, actually, I was just there and I was reading something and I didn't even know the history of that. But yeah, there. that's kind of where Minnesota all got started. Yep. Lisa, talk to us about your business, your coaching. Do you work mainly with individuals, with corporations? Like what's your ideal client? Yeah. So I speak to corporations, I speak to groups, I work mostly with individuals. I come in to do trainings on courageous conversations, on creating a healthy, balanced life that that still allows you to have an inch, (laughs) but so that you don't, you know, end up in a neurosurgeon's office like I did. But my real sweet spot is working one-on-one with clients. I do that via Zoom or telephone and retreats. I host retreats for women once a year. Nice. I know you have a mastermind that you kicked off, right? Do you have one going on right now? I don't. Next mastermind may start again in the winter. In the winter. Some of those dates, some thought. Yes. Awesome. Sounds good. So share with me what a mastermind is. Well, a mastermind is probably what you have done naturally, John. That's just my guess. You so 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 I consider a mastermind a small group of people I trust who have my back and can offer me some personal support but also professional support. So when I lead a mastermind, I've got a group of women, it might be 6, it might be 7, but not much more than that. And we connect throughout the month and keep each other inspired and motivated and on track. They're people who you can call at a moment's notice and just say, hey, I need to run something by you. And I'm assuming whenever the program ends, everyone pretty much remains friends too. And you continue to utilize the the people that you met. That's the thing. Yeah. Even if the formality of a mastermind doesn't fit, and you don't continue with that particular mastermind, you do continue the friendship and the relationship. That's for sure. It's a, it's way deeper and to me so much more rich than networking. Right. Uh, it's like yeah. networking, but much more elevated. Yeah, much more elevated and deep because you get to know each other and really how you can impact and help. And as you said, have somebody who's got your back and if you're going down a crazy path, they can say, hey, like, let's take a pause. Are you sure you really want to do that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and, and to have a small group of six or seven makes it a whole lot easier. If you're trying to do it with 20 people, it probably isn't going to work as well. But if you have that small group, people enjoy, I, I think, being involved in much smaller groups. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Lisa, before we got on the podcast, we were chatting a little bit about people, about recruiting and corporations struggling to have the right people in the right seats. And, you know, that was an issue prior to COVID and now post-pandemic. But what are some of your thoughts on that? Right people, right seats and just that challenge? I don't know if I have an answer for it. You know, it is such a challenge. Like you had said, it, it was present prior 
to the pandemic, and yet perhaps the pandemic has shined light on it even more. I felt during the pandemic, and I may have been odd man out, but during the pandemic, I felt like, well, maybe this is the reset we didn't know we needed. You know, maybe we're all just like freaking running on empty and running amok. But the pandemic, because it pretty much stripped everything away from us, maybe the pandemic taught us what's most important. Maybe the pandemic taught us all to reshuffle and reprioritize and use our time and our energy on the people and the things that were most important to us. And yet, I'm now on this side of the pandemic and the people coming to me with challenges, that's the same challenges. Yeah. So, I, you know, sadly, I'm not sure the pandemic helped us reprioritize and keep our lives in line with our values. And that was so what I was hoping for. Right. <laughs> something good could come yeah. out of the pandemic i was thinking well at least everybody's going to reassess and we're all going to know that what we do with our time is what we're meant to do with our time and i think a, a few people certainly did that but i don't know if we did as a culture yeah i would agree and i was actually similar i was hopeful that we would take some of those you know those things the good stuff that did come out of it and we'd figure out how to take that forward some maybe have done better than others. But John, I was looking through photos, just like random photos come up on you know your phone. And I was looking at like the Zoom calls we did even as a family, like we were doing sure. you know consistently. Yeah. And even that, like some of the connectivity, like certainly we want to see each other in person, but we communicated more, I um, think, with their extended family on a more regular basis because we wanted to be there for each other through the pandemic. And we kind of lost some of that. What I will say that John and our family has done really well is there's a group that has done the fantasy football and you guys are now doing whatever the hockey fantasy, whatever is. <laughs> But they're really doing that be like the grandkids want to be a part of it because they want that was something that I think is a positive that has come from that connectivity out of the pandemic. But I agree with you, Lisa, like we just some of those best practices that maybe we were learning once we got out of things, we just went back to a lot of our old normal. And then what I'm seeing is that people still didn't deal with maybe the trauma of we were in a pandemic like we people lost people they knew the jobs shifted there was loneliness there was you know just a lot of things that happened during that time and i think some we didn't even we haven't even really addressed what happened during that time and i think we'll be talking about it for years to come yeah i couldn't agree with you more yeah and I you know during the pandemic when people yeah, our companies decided that people are going to work from home. I think productivity went up quite a bit because people were excited that they could work, that they could work from home, and they were probably working fairly long hours. And then as time went on, I think now the companies want them to go back to work to the office more and more because I think they've lost the edge on productivity from home. Mm. Maybe that's the case, yeah. I was thinking they wanted us to come back to the office because they have a building. <laughs> that they yeah. Well, <laughs> and they're paying rent. There's rent right. being paid on that building. And a lot of companies today are saying, well, you know, we want you in at least two days a week anyhow. And, right. uh, and then during those two days, you can have some meetings with people in the office. And I mean, Zoom meetings are great, but there's also some value to sitting down in front of someone and chatting with them a little bit. 
Hands down. Yeah. I, I, that to me, that would be an ideal workday for me personally. Wouldn't it be great if we could all create our own ideal work scenario, whatever that is? Each, right. each of us work differently. I work fine by myself and I work by myself all day long. And yet, you know, a day or two with people might be nice. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Well, if nothing, to socialize with them a little bit, you go to lunch or you, yeah. you you sit there in the morning and you have coffee with them for a few minutes and you talk about what's going on. Yeah. Right. You know, yeah. You lose that through everyone working from home. That's true. You do. You do. And just that, yeah, so that day-to-day connection on knowing what's going on right. in people's lives and, and all of that. Yeah. So Lisa, as far as we've learned a little bit about your life, about your business and, you know, working with leaders and helping them, helping individuals break through burnout. What are some other messages or topics that you'd like our podcast listeners to hear from you? You know, I think what I want them to hear from me is that they, if they are feeling like those symptoms I was talking about, amped up, revved up, always on, not having time to pee. If those things are happening, I want them to know that there can be a better way and there is a better way. And that different approach to life does not mean that they'll lose their edge. I will say so many people come to me wanting help and yet concerned that help is going to tell them, well, you're going to have to slow down. You're going to have to reduce the stress. You're going to have to meditate. And while I believe all of those things are helpful, there's definitely ways we can adjust the approach to life so that the edge is still there, the speed and the quickness is still there, and yet the health and your relationships can be salvaged. I want people to know that truly time to think, I believe, trumps time to work. Uh, we, we value work, and I think work is important. And yet I think we do our best work when we take time to reflect and think. And I want people to be able to put that thinking time, that pause in their day habitually. Mm. Sign me up, Lisa. Oh my gosh. I can't, I'm just so excited that we have you on the podcast and um, we'll make sure in the show notes that people know how to get in touch with you for that like one-on-one, but then certainly keep us updated when you do either a mastermind or if you have a retreat that you're planning. And I think we should chat. I'd love to collaborate with you. Maybe we could do something together, but that just everything that you just said totally resonates And I know that for me, you know, when you're moving fast and just fast and fast, that's also when mistakes happen. And so that time to actually step back and think and allow yourself to do so, it it can be so hard, but it's so powerful. It is so powerful. Yeah. And there are times in our day, even when we feel like we have no margin in our day, I promise you, I can show how we can have time to pause for 30 seconds and it can make a world of difference. I think I talked to you about the owner's meeting and I have exact steps how to bring that up. And so if your listeners are interested in that, I'll absolutely get you a link, Dina. Okay. We can put it on there for them. Nice. I love it. I love it. No one will take better care of yourself than you. You just need to step up and step up and do it. You got it, John. Isn't that the case? You're right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so hard for us to do for some reason because we want to take care of everybody else. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think it felt very selfish to take care of myself. I was taught sure. to put others first. And then it, yeah, if I put myself even in the list, it felt selfish. It doesn't anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, I was able to untrain myself. It feels very nourishing that I am on the list and then I can take care of others as well. But it was really hard initially. Yeah, well, thank God you got the message when you did and you were able to, you know, redirect your course because you have now been here for your beautiful girls and their lives that they have ahead of them and just love that you're this. So our legacy conversation about, you know, living out legacies, what a legacy that you're providing to them, but all that you're teaching others to take from your experience and what they can then do for themselves is just amazing. So excited to know who you are. Thank you so much. I really appreciate getting to know both of you better and uh, sharing this time together. Well, and if you want something to help you slow down a little bit, get a kitty cat. <laughs> right? Yeah. <John? laughs> I want to thank Lisa Babiak, the founder of Living Fully Balanced, for joining us on the podcast. I'm so excited to know more about her and what she's doing in working with people to address preventing burnout and so excited just to know her we'll show in the show notes we'll make sure that you know how to get connected with her and follow her so that if you're able to join a retreat or work with her one-on-one -on -one, you know how to find her and as always i thank my father-in-law john simon for partnering with me in this podcast and until we talk again